0: you're listening to a podcast from Silano 2 We're very lucky on the show today. I mean, we we usually have Literature Corner on a Thursday at 11 a.m., but we also managed to talk about a book already. Richard Popluck joining us in studio from 10 until 11, and uh, we're blessed. We go from one great commentator and journalist uh, in their own right, Richard Popluck, to, in my view, uh, you know, in many ways, political reporting is a bit like sport, and sport is about being in form and out of form. And someone that's always in form is Kenita Hunter. She joins us in studio now to talk about balance of power good morning.
1: Good morning. Thank you very much for having me, Nick.
0: So, I mean, are, are we going to let the world know about our little inside joke about uh, what, what I call you?
1: <laughs> you know, you might as well. Have to, huh? Have to, You're the only person that call me that. Yeah. So <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've seen
0: you around in the beat for the better part of a decade. You know, when you first arrived in the beat, I was like, man, I wish I had, I wish I had as cool a surname as this Kanita lady. Because <laughs> I used to start calling you exclusive because, you know, they call her Hunter. Exclusive Hunter. And that's what you've done over the years. You've just you've oh, brought in exclusive after exclusive after exclusive. And it seemed to me it would only be a matter of time before you brought out your, your first book. And this is it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, thank you, Nick. That was... I mean, uh, the exclusive Hunter thing, lots of people uh, on social media look at you and just like, hey, what, what's going on here? But, um, you know, we try, we try. And so this book is a culmination. I mean, we've been running around in the field for a better part of a decade. Uh, um, and, you know, it's it's nice to sort of come out on the other side and still intact, hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, this is just
0: something that all good political writers do. And eh? they eventually bring out their first book and Balance of Power is taking us into the heart of the Silver Ramaphosa administration, his rise to the ANC presidency and his initial couple of very testing moments as president.
1: Why, why did you write this book? So I think that the speed in which that politics happens in South Africa is so accelerated, we often forget as ordinary people as to, like, how did we even get here? And yesterday I was actually thinking about it, um, you know, when we were sitting at ESCOM, for example, and, uh, you know, the president announcing, oh, I'm cancelling all leave for executives, and everyone was like, hurrah. And then, you know, you, we actually just forgot for that moment that last year we were in a similar situation and Gordon Gordon made the same announcement. So it, for me, it was really, really important to kind of take a, a step back and say, okay, what actually happened? How did we get here? And, 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 and Peter Bruce very kindly said, um, you know, um, as a shout for my book that it's the perfect primer. And that's what I wanted it to be to say, okay, you're going to start judging this president as he takes over in the sixth administration. But, but let's talk about some of the stuff that that you know that got us to this point. And I didn't rely only on you know piecing together newspaper articles, which sometimes you know is very common in books of these of of this kind. But I tried to take it a step further. A to make it really accessible for people who don't consume every minute of the news like me and you, um, but also to 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 give, empower a reader with information that they not necessarily would know. So things that I would know as a political journalist, but to an ordinary person wouldn't know the genesis of the Tumamina speech or wouldn't know who are the people that advise Ramaphosa. And so for me, this is so important to say, okay, this book is... You know, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the Ramaphosa presidency. I, I, I don't have, you know, miracle ball that I could, I could rub. But what I can do is equip you with the information to say, how did we get here? And you then can judge as a reader to say, what does this mean? And, and, and you know, when things start unfolding, as I say, as I, you know, at the conclusion of the book, that you know, buckle up for for a bumpy ride. So when you have the bumpy ride of SCOM and SAA, you, you you are empowered to understand the nature and the type of person this man is, uh, who is president, and 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 what and and you know what sort of makes him Cyril Ramaphosa.
0: You just joined us. We're talking Balance of Power with Kanita Hunter. It's a book that she's put together on the rise of Cyril Ramaphosa to the uh, ANC Presidency, the Presidency of the Republic of South Africa, and also sharing some fresh insights into things like Jacob Zuma's removal, uh, how Tumamina was actually meant to be a chorus that was read out by Jacob Zuma himself. But let's go back to the beginning. right? It's almost two years to the day when we were both in the trenches there at Nasrec. Um, waiting for this announcement, right? Mm. Uh, and and I, for one, was still very deeply surprised when I saw the look on Jacob Zuma's face, and it was a, a look of defeat that I had never, ever mm. seen the guy uh, offer before. Mm. Uh, take us back to to that moment without giving away too much so that people don't buy the book. <laughs> but how did Ramaphosa do it, right? But a lot of people are just... Simply saying, ah, he bought it, he bought it. But it wasn't, it's a little bit
1: more complicated. Yeah. So what I try to do, Nick, is is to kind of paint the picture in the most, you know, graphic and detailed way of what this horse trading, manoeuvring, political balancing act that happened that actually led us to the Nasrek victory for Ramaphosa. And it starts all the way back in 2012, where Ramaphosa's return to the ANC into active politics as deputy president was engineered by the same people who opposed him five years later, who vehemently opposed him five years later.
0: And and could arguably be the same ones that are driving daggers into his back now
1: absolutely um and so so that was a very important thing to go back to say okay how did he come back and to understand that it was a it was politics of convenience it was let us find a man who's not tainted but tainted enough by marikana we install him here so he doesn't form a threat um you know in five years time when 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 things needed to happen uh, richard said earlier about you know we we underestimate the devastation of the of the Zuma years. and you can understand the kind of desperation um that that was needed to fire Zuma and his allies at the time to install a proxy president of the ANC so that the status quo in many respects is maintained and so 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 um, 5 years after being installed by the Esma Khashule and the Zulim of 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 the ANC um the you know and, and at the time in 2012 the SACP in Kasatu was so Against the son of bourgeoisie that you know that kind of thing, and then five years later it was the South African Communist Party in Cosatu being in the forefront of lobbying for, for Ramaphosa. but really when you when you go back to that imagery of of that shock and anger and confusion on Zuma's face that you captured Nick for all of us to see as you know as we were kind of reporting on the you know euphoria and disappointment of that nazareth moment um it's important to understand how how high stake this fight was for both sides it was it was you know now, never do or die, you know whatever cliche you can in, insert here and so 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 um you know what I try to do is to say, okay, these were the meetings that were happening, this was the negotiations, and this was the sentiment of people uh you know, I take you to you know conversations between Ngwako Matlodi and and Mbueni, you know kind of saying um this win is not really a win for the, a- you know, the Ramaphosa has not won the ANC. His, ad- his close allies say we won the country on that day, but we really didn't win the ANC. Knowing very well from the moment that the announcement was made that actually this was a, a negotiated settlement effectively. Um, and it was, it was, Ramaphosa not having the type of grip that his predecessors had had on the party, knowing upfront that this would cause some sort of, of chaos and havoc for him.
0: So let's unpack that a little bit more before we go into into how Ramaphosa's led since not only deposing Zuma but also being elected to, to power in his own right. Uh, something that you heard from his faction, his supporters – was that we'll have to settle for the beachhead. You know, we, like you just said, didn't win the ANC. Uh, and and not only was the top five or sorry, the top six of the ANC split uh, when Nasrek came, came to his conclusion, but also you're sitting with an NEC where it's at the very best 60-40 in, in Ramaphosa's favor. Um, do you think that, that he expected that to happen?
1: Yeah, so so what was interesting for me was the disclosure by people who were really at the top of the CI17 campaign, that that they that people joined or rallied behind Ramaphosa only because they were rejected by the other side. And That's a really important disclosure to make if you understand. But, but better being one absolutely and 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 so you, you you saw people jumping onto this political bandwagon particularly because they had nowhere else to go so what happened then it was it was you know people trying to secure their own interest and as a result there wasn't this sort of systematic uh, kind of approach to say we're going to have this is not only about the presidency this is about everything else and so and so that's why there was the chaos about the secretary general who's going to be i mean the, the the, the the two positions, uh, David Mabuza's deputy president and Paul Mashatile were the only people who had played both sides really well, who kind of had guaranteed positions. But the point that I'm that I try to make in the book, Nick, is that this is not just some sort of you know um, uh, house of cards, some dramatic internal faction that's nice to hear, some you know like a gossip. This really has a bearing on the on the country, and and this has a bearing on on the future of South Africa. So when you see the president months later appoint his executive and you and you question oh my goodness how can this person make it to the executive how can he renege on his commitment to cut the size of the executive then you have to understand that he is treading on borrowed power and you understand the gravity of it in in crunch time now 2 years later when 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 things are not as when the honeymoon is effectively over um and now you realize that hmm you know it it, it he, he, it's it's a negotiation, just as how his presidency was a negotiation. Um, so too, now, every step he takes, it's a it's a it's effectively a balancing act.
0: Well, look, we'll use the second half of the hour to talk about the the effective power paralysis in many ways that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa has to deal with on a day to day basis as president, as leader of the ANC. Um, but let's talk about the those insights that your book brings out. I mean, it, it, all South Africans feel as though they they were there. Uh, with a almost fortnight that uh, that seemed like an eternity when we when we saw the back of President Jacobs eventually on valentine's day and let 's not talk about Bramfontein. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but your book brings such fantastic insight to life about how Zuma actually dug his heels in and was prepared to use every means possible to stay in matlab and
1: Lofu. yeah so 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 the thing is that that Again, the, the, the Zuma removal from office, um, also happened in such frantic speed that we kind of forgot almost what actually this meant for South Africa and and what actually was at play and so what I do then is try to create uh, you know um, and a friend of mine said to me it was like you were you know auditioning for a, a showrunner you know in a high stakes drama TV series but I says you know that literally was South Africa and they ANC in those you know what I call the 15 days in February where, where there was you know this inevitable end of, of Jacob Zuma's tenor, but but he wouldn't see it, and this back and forth of saying, okay, I will go if the ANC tells me to go, and then the ANC tells him to go, and then he says, give me six more months, and then, you know, the constant reneging, the type of stuff that he said, for example, David Mabuza was one of his key allies uh, but when they now confront him and say you need to step down like, <laughs> <Wednesday>. so, <laughs> so, so, so so that kind of of, of, of disparaging comments kind of an, really paints a bigger picture of 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 what was at stake and what of how he really could not leave office and you can only understand now at the you know year a year and a half or so later where you understand you know it really wasn't in the plan for him to leave office. It was always to install a proxy so that whatever was happening, the dismantling of the criminal justice system, the Couldn't evading feel of the court...
0: full fruition.
1: Absolutely. And I think that it was really... Nasdaq was really un- uncomfortable um, or, or, you know, a thorn in his way. And then the subsequent um, uh, happenings that happened, um, you know, in February oh, that led to his resignation as well. But... You it's important because this was such an important time in South Africa's history. And, and, and I know, you know, um, I spoke to, you know, Khaleba Mutlante, where he, he very perfectly put it uh, that, that, you know, we don't, we must not believe in Messiahs. And, and that's a very important message of the book that one man can't fix it all. But I do think that, you know, one man, mean, mean Jacob Suma led the the breaking down of the state and his removal um, was really a, a game changer for the country. Even though now uh, we look back and we say we have the same problems, and we have the same, we have you know even worse problems if you again look at SAA SAA on enterprises. But the reality of it is a removal of a sitting president or the resignation of a sitting president, and these dynamics that happened within the ANC is really historic, and it, it was important for us to understand it but also to, to get the details that you wouldn't have necessarily gotten if you just read papers and listened to the radio.
0: If so you've got a question for Kanita Hunter, she's an author. We can call you an author nowadays. you got your first book out <laughs> the way. Uh, but one of the country's best political hacks. She's with me in studio here. Her book's called Balance of Power. Give us a call, 011-883-0702. Maybe you have your own insights, your own thoughts, your own uh, queries of how we got here. Um And if you don't want to give us a call, remember that WhatsApp line 702 1702 and three one seven oh two on the SMS line as well. So – uh, one last little sojourn into jacob zuma and and uh his removal from office,
1: what do you reckon he would have done in those six months? <laughs> oh well, just introduce from a to BRICS leaders
0: as he said <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right uh-huh.
1: i I really think it was it was an effort to tighten loop's ends um there was a lot of I mean, there was a lot of craziness happening at the time. I, I mention in the book a little bit of, of this kind of um, attempt to mobilize the Amabutu, which is, um, you know, the the, the, the Zulu uh, royal army um, and how that kind of backfired for him. But also, you know, if you, if you look at it now and the decisions that have been taken since then in terms of, of you know, Trying to repair SARS, trying to repair the criminal justice system, I think um those six months for him would have been an effort to just kind of cement his 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 power in a way that will be very difficult to undo to a large degree um you know even though and 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 I mentioned it in the book how Ramaphosa's advisors say that. They didn't understand how, how broken the system was and how deep it goes. Um, and and I think that that six months would have given him an opportunity to make irreversible uh, um, decisions or irrever- irreversible... Um,
0: Policy choices.
1: Yes, in a way that would kind of protect him and his allies more than the, what they have been protected. And to the large degree, Nick, they've, they, you know, the the nine waste years, if you may, um, kind of, you know, made it impossible for people like Dudu to face the consequences of their actions. And so what we have to identify and what we can't discount is that it was really intelligent, it was structured, and it was methodical in how the state was broken down into pieces for personal gain. And so... That I would think that 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 six months would have used to cement it so that it would be irreversible.
0: Well, Paul in Cape Town's just SMSed in. Is it true that he was really ready to call a state of emergency and and bring in the army?
1: Yeah, so there, were, there was the the suspicion, particularly because uh, days before the NASDAQ conference, he had uh, 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 gazetted quite draconian uh, state of emergency rules. It was gazetted at the time, so there was this kind of question as to hmm, what what are you planning? Um, obviously, you'd n- we'd never know um, what was the intention of Jacob Zuma at the time, but but just what happened since what happened. After that, even though, I mean, Layency was really conciliatory to him. Ramaphosa was really, you know, this is my BFF almost. Uh, uh, even when they were trying to get him out of office, there was, you know, celebrations and, and, and farewell parties and whatever. So it wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, what you'd find in, in, you know, Typical of African countries where, you know, the, the 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 new leader, you know, sends the army to jail um, the former president. You know that 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 not happen, um, but but it's 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 interesting that even though there was this, you know, he had support, he had proxies still in senior positions in the ANC, et cetera, et cetera. There was still this effort to 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 kind of. Uh, Win at all costs.
0: Granita Hunter in studio with me, Niklas Baas, standing for Sabus MacKayza on the Sabi's MacKayza show until midday, We're talking about her book, Balance of Power. It takes us to the heart of the Simul Ramaphosa presidency and his rise to power, not only in the ANC presidency, but also in the union buildings. More on that in a moment.
2: Literature Corner.
0: Welcome back. Uh, we're talking to Kanita Hunter in her book, Balance of Power. I hope it's the first of many because you provide very expert insight into critical, uh, political uh, moments in our not too distant history. Uh, but let's, let's talk now about what has happened in the Silver Ramaphosa presidency, not only since he uh, deposed Zuma in 2018, February, Valentine's Day, uh, but also when he actually won the election, mm. uh, and in many ways saved the ANC from what was going to be defeat in Gauteng. and I mean Fikile Mbalula is, is on record saying the ANC was cruising for a bruising in the elections had it not been for Cyril uh, himself. So, so uh, w- w- what's your your take? And also, you know, not giving away too much so people don't don't mm. buy the book uh, on the election and on the way the ANC approached that election.
1: Yeah, so the, the what what I had when he was uh, uh, elected by Parliament in 2018 was the luxury of. Political capital and optimism—what we now know, you know, Romaforia—and so that was something that not many people, not many presidents, had had that luxury of people without him doing anything, just had this optimism. And I think it stemmed from the fact that we had reached rock bottom, and people were just like, "We—the only way we can go as a country is up." And so I kind of understand where that was coming from. And and you know, as he got into. Um, office. There was a lot of commitments and bold commitments that he made, especially you know last year in his first year's as office. Um, you know the fixing of SARS, and then there was you know the commissions. But 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 SARS is a very good microcosm when we talk about you know the, Ramaphosa being a decisive leader. And a lot of people, you know, are really angry about the fact that he doesn't sort of take decisions and stick by them. And 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 his advisors kind of um, ha- have a response to that, and they say he plays a long game, and so. Um, I, you know, what I do is I take you to this meeting that Ramaphosa had with Tom Moyane, the former SARS commissioner, where he says, step down, and the two of them have a fight. And effectively, it was like, game on. And, you know, it was Ramaphosa versus Moyane. That lasted eight or nine months of 2018. Um, and at the end, he was fired, and the courts agreed with the decision, and, 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 and Moyane was out of, of SARS. So that is sort of touted as, as, can you see he plays the long game? Um, but 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 and then if you look at the criminal justice system, you know that that was really an important part of 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 Ramaphosa's presidency because I mean and Richard mentioned it I was listening earlier where he's like the criminal justice system was paralyzed is paralyzed, um and and you can't. Fix anything? If I mean, a president can't arrest people, nor can us as journalists. So, so it was about fixing um, institutions, appointing heads. But I think the problem came in, just like the problem with the with the euphoria around Ramaphosa's presidency, is because we were so desperate to get some good news and get some optimism that what we effectively did was we, we said Ramaphosa's going to fix it, Shamila Bato is going to fix the N- NPA. General Labia is going to fix the hawks, and then hurrah we're going to be fine, not realizing how inbred this corruption and, 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 and looting etc has you know is number one and number two that people on the top can't fix it all they just can't and and that understanding I think is what people are only getting now two years later when they're like, but how is there no arrest and now Shamila Batoyi has to be the be- you know, bit of bad news to be like, um, excuse me, I can't fix it by myself. Do you know how broken the system is? And, and people are now impatient. So I think that, that, that luxury that Ramaphosa had of people just giving him the benefit of the doubt and giving him this unwavering support. I mean, people who, who not necessarily, you know, support the ANC were supporting Ramaphosa. And that's what effectively what Balula said. But, but, but that, created two things it created unwarranted expectations or these or these expectations that um you know he ramaphosa is going to fix it all and now has created disappointment that he hasn't fixed it all
0: all right, we are uh, taking a pit stop for a Current Affairs Dose with Sviso Zulu next. Uh, we're talking about Balance of Power, a book by Kenita Hunter. Got it for a couple of minutes more, so questions into your SMS line, three one seven zero two and WhatsApps to 72 The
2: Literature Corner.
0: Indeed, right. We've got Kanita Hunter for a couple of more minutes before she says goodbye. Uh, I suppose you're off hunting for another exclusive. Sunday
1: is very near.
0: That's what happens when you work for a Sunday publication. Uh, put on the, the cans there because we've got Abigail in Harton who wants to ask you a question. If you have a question for Kanita, you can be like Abigail. Give us a call. 11 883 Abigail, good morning. Hi, good morning.
2: This is a fascinating discussion and I'm sure a fascinating book. One of the things I've always wondered about, the whole state capture thing, we've heard about all the SOEs, we've heard about all the other organizations that have been basically collapsed and corrupted. But the first place I think Zuma would have gone, given his background as intelligence, is to the intelligence community. The intelligence community, the security, the policing structures, I mean, for me, that would have been his first port of call. So I wonder if she's got any information about that. I mean, I know there are incidents. I'm not saying this latest ESCOM thing is genuine sabotage or whatever, but there are instances where I've personally felt that that Ramaphosa is being sabotaged. So I just want to hear what her opinion is.
1: Thanks for that, Abigail in Houghton. Your thoughts, Kanita? So I was mean, in luck because I really dedicate almost a chapter on on on, on this uh, on, the, on the intelligence agencies, um, and and I and I sort of mention anecdotes about how uh, before the before the NASDAQ conference, how you know money at uh, the intelligence agency was basically uh, you know uh, used for the conference and looted something in the you know hundreds of millions, and 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 the thing about. Um, Intelligence playing a role in politics um, you know, was something that has been going around for a long time, but it was really entrenched in the Zuma years. And I give anecdotes of that. We talk about um, the Sydney Mufumadi report, and that was a very important report, uh, a panel that Ramaphosa put in place when he came to office to say, let us understand the scope of what really happened. And that kind of paints a picture how money was looted how it was politicized for example there's an operations um unit within the ssa called special ops um, and we know that it's ahead by it was headed by um you know zuma spook uh tulani lomo and basically in their annual report they would list successes right and they part of their success would be we intercepted cr supporters wearing CR League regalia. That's a success story. We, 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 we put out adverts to a positive message in the, or created patriotism. Basically, we paid money to, to profile Jacob Zuma. Um, we spent hundreds of millions of rands, um, you know, for ANC events. So that's literally the state of it. And you're very right when you say that it was the, the, the criminal justice system and the intelligence services. And that's why it's collapsed. If you, you would have read some weeks ago, um, I did a story and City Press also did the same story about how there was absolutely no intelligence, um, when, when, when the xenophobic attacks were happening in South Africa. And you, you have to realize that this is as, as a consequence of that, um, and the, the the interesting bit, right? So this is where things get interesting. Is that Ramaphosa had said to us, and, and you know he, he they, we I, I quote him quite um, extensively on his views about how intelligence services play played a role in dealing with him politically. You remember, um, you know, accusations of him being a spy. And I mentioned in the book that for the longest time there was this narrative that Ramaphosa was actually some sort of plant of the CIA, believed by Zuma and those around him. And so and so 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 the the, the test now for, for for looking forward is that a will he be able to 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 reclaim the intelligence services there is an effort to split it and reform it et cetera et cetera but the reality of it is that we can't be um you know docile and, and naive to believe that that Ramaphosa won't use the intelligence agency like say Jacob Zuma did it's the temptation is very high and that's why we need to uh, you know be there and check um, and and have these type of things. So so when Ramaphosa appoints his childhood best friend as the head of the domestic branch of the a and um, of the state security agency, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but we'll watch you as the media, you know, with a hawk's eye, because what what is what is what is holding him back from from falling into the temptation of just and doing the exact same absolutely. Thing.
0: We well, got one more call here, Solly in Johannesburg. Uh, Solly, your questions.
2: My question is my, my my comment is that our president needs just to do away with intelligence because the intelligence, all of them, belongs to Jacob Zuma. You don't need a minister of intelligence. He must take care of intelligence in his office. Then you'll be right. Thank you.
1: So that so that was actually a. a, a... A proposal on Roman Posa's desk when he took over, you know, the consideration of shutting down the intelligence agencies and bringing that 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 kind of uh, power to the presidency. But I suppose there was legislation, etc. That's the problem. And so the review of it was okay. We will, uh, you know, they'll have like uh, go back to the old structure under Mbeki, where there's a, a national intelligence coordinating kind of you know the uh, coordination that happens at the presidency but then but then there's a domestic branch and a foreign branch and you need intelligence because the world everyone else has intelligence but 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 really we've come from an intelligence state a uh, paranoid intelligence state um and and the only way to fix it is to uh, you know without sounding very trumpish but to drain the swamp <laughs>
0: <laughs> How deep is that swamp? One wonders. Okay, so, so let's talk about uh, some other interesting insights there and, uh, and not try and delve too heavily into the things that need to be done in order to clean out the organ stables here at the Union Buildings and throughout the entire political system. Uh, Tumamina you know, became a rallying call for Cyril Maposa after his, his maiden uh, state of the nation, Dress. Yeah. After uh, Jacob Zuma broke up with us on Valentine's Day, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Yeah, Zuma meter, oh, it's in me." That was Jacob Zuma's speech.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that reference. So, so I was in the course of writing this book, I was quite fascinated because it really became the, the you know, the. The Amandla of 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 Ramaphosa, you know, Tumamina. He was known as President Tumamina. You know, you'd find you know executives in in and, You know, be like Tumamina. and you're like, okay. But 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 you know, it set me on a course to find out what is the genesis of the speech, and I kind of tracked down the speechwriter. who who put this together, and he was um, a speechwriter in the office of the deputy president at the time. His name is Wonderboy Peters. And he details of how he kind of found these lyrics and how he thought it was so important. He was writing this this speech for Jacob Zuma, who was still president at the time. And for him, he said he was looking for something that was going to create this, you know, this patriotism, this people are going to... Because, like, you know, Baba was going through the most at the time, and he was trying to find something that would kind of loved the spirits of the country and he you know he got the inspiration from a 1996 speech of of, of, of Nelson, former president Nelson Mandela you know, the new patriotism and and then you know searching the internet, kind of reflecting. He finds these lyrics of Huma Sikela, of Send Me and Tumamina." and he listens to it and listens to it and listens to it, and he writes the speech, which he's so proud of. Only for Ramaphosa to get elected, and his advisors, um, you know, are so suspicious, of well, not suspicious, but, but really, uh, you know, not keen on including this reference into his speech. And it took, you know, the now head of, the, um, of policy in the presidency to say, no, this will lift the mood. and They had to basically fight its way back Back into the speech his advisors really were shocked when Ramaphosa concludes that speech where he says and you know I quote the words of Huma Sikela and literally the entire um, National Assembly stood up I saw journalists standing up and I was like what you know the kind of applause that he was given that moment really it really spoke to the moment and his advisors saying you know we had no idea at all um, but it's just you know for me it's really an Interesting anecdote because you know Tumamina would go down as the "I am an African" speech of 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 Tabubbi, and obviously it took us years later to find out that how you know uh, with Frank Chicani saying that when he left the house late at night, the speech hadn't been written, but the morning the speech. So those these type of speech kind of shape because pe- you know people cling onto the you know these kind of slogans etc. and 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 for me it was just important to find out how did it come about, who came up with the idea, only to realise that it was actually something for, for Zuma to say but I mean Ramaphosa owned it and, and it, it then became his slogan
0: So we could talk for ages but unfortunately uh, the hands of time are uh, are working against us uh, Let's let's end our discussion on the book about who Cyril listens to, you know? who who are Cyril's kitchen cabinet, the president, <laughs> who are the president's
1: men The EFF would like us to believe it's Pravin Gordon and I don't know if it is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after the last week, I, I don't think so. Eh? You think? <laughs> I don't know. But um, but it was interesting to see who are the people that Ramaphosa brought close to him. And there was, there was almost a sense of loyalty in terms of how he decides who he gets advice from. The type of people that he that he surrounds himself with. in Speed is someone who sort of grew up with him in the ANC when he was Secretary General, worked for Mbeki, worked for Khalima Mutlante and now is his political advisor. a really strategic position him choosing someone like Charles Ngakula to head his, um, his, uh, um, you know, be security advisor, um, you know, the, the likes of, of, uh, um, Roshin Singh being his chief of staff um, for example uh, you know um, um, the, you know Mary Nicol who who was worked with him as his PA when he was Secretary General so so what Ramaphosa did is when he assembled the people that were close to him um, or his advisors and the people that he takes counsel from he really took people along with him that he had a history with all the way back to when he was Secretary General of the ANC so it kind of shows the type of personality that he is and the type of you know these are his people the, the 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 one criticism that he that he got from people within the ANC is that he didn't he's doing or he has done same thing Jacob Zuma did, and if you talk about, um, you know, there was there was appointment of the head of the VIP security, Wally Ruda, um, uh, you know, where people were saying, "Hmm, you're doing what Jacob Zuma did, brought all his people from KZN." You just, you know, someone laughed and said, "You know, this is uh, this is sort of patronage that went to private school," and so, <laughs> so, 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 you know, th- these are the type of. It's important to know that you know there's there's a. Johnny chahoke that has the president's ear there's a stain speed that has the president's ear there's a um Doné Nicol that has the presidency, here uh, and how he kind of appointed them. The history in terms of legal decisions. There's a person called Nkukanya Jele. see, the thing with Jacob Zuma is because of the notoriety of the people around him, we got to know them. We got to know Michael Halley. So every time there was a Stalingrad legal defense, we would know that was coming from Michael Hally. So in in Ramaphosa's case, we 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 introduced to someone called Nkukanya Jele, an ad, you know advocate who's 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 basically advising the president on his legal strategy. And I think it's really important. But because when we start trying to hold him accountable, when he makes foreign affairs decisions, when he when he decides to cut a trip back from a um, cut a trip short from Egypt and come back to South Africa to deal with um, uh, with Eskom, we know that the person who's advising him there is Kulumbata, who's his who is his uh, international relations advisor. So I think that it's, it's 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 as much as it's important to know the president, it's more important to know the people around him. Obviously, there'll be lots and lots of people who are unofficially in dark corners give the president advice, um, and we'll, we'll get to know them eventually. I've
0: got to be honest with you, man. Uh, this conversation that we just had over the past 45 minutes has just reinforced my belief that I've done so little with my life that you've managed to do this and you're not even 30 yet. How long until you're running a newsroom?
1: no, Nick, don't
0: go there. Oh, come <laughs> on.
1: And here I was, uh, uh, um, imagining my early retirement writing fiction on a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, chance.
0: Uh, <fans. laughs> no, no abso-
1: absolutely not. I think that... Uh, there's there's so much that we still need to do, Nick. And, and, and really, you know, sometimes you get jaded. And I, I think this year was really a really testing year for me. And I often speak about, you know, the, the consequences that, you know, the type of bullying and harassment that we face as, as journalists and more so as political journalists have in our mental health. It really has been a challenging year for me. But I think now coming full circle and having the opportunity to share this book with you know with people, you you it, it really has reinforced within me the importance of what we do. And I and I know people often criticize journalists and say we kind of have this Jesus complex. But the reality of it is, it's really important to do what we do. And and again, when all systems were broken, it literally was the court and the media that held up our democracy in those nine years. Um, and and so I. I'll be around for a while.
0: (laughs) Parting shot. What does it take to to be a good political reporter in South Africa?
1: It takes dedication, empathy, and real hard work. You know the the hurry up and wait. That's our life. And and that's what it is. And I also think... um, uh, asking questions no question is silly and that was something that i had to learn i was well, i was 18 years old when i was you know running around behind julius malema or whatever and and i had to to, to get that confidence in, in 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 just asking questions, so so explain to us: is the sabotage? What is the? What do you, do you think? One man shutting down a, a device uh, can you know wipe so much of, of of megawatts off the grid? You know those type of you know silly questions um, really is what gets us uh, to the heart of issues. And I think that uh, in South Africa, if there's a message for for my comrades, other political journalists, other journalists, is that now's not the time to give up.
0: You're looking for something to put in your Christmas stocking. Balance of Power by Kenita Hunter is a good idea. Thank you so much for coming into studio. And uh, strength to your pen and strength to your leadership in a New newsroom in uh, uh, the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much, Nick.